Hi, this is Runa and you're listening to the Chainsmakers podcast where we share tips, insight, tools and stories from other Chainsmakers designed to motivate you to become the change you want to see in your world. Make sure you join our Chainsmakers community at runamagnus.com forward slash podcast. And now, this is your time to sit back, relax and enjoy. Meet our next guest, Chris Armstrong. He is the co-owner of Veritas Culture and is a highly sought-after consultant, facilitator, speaker and coach in the areas of organizational culture and diversity and inclusion. Additionally, Chris is a certified relationship coach focusing on promoting equal and authentic relationships. I really loved talking to Chris around the whole thing about gender equality, gender equity, what's happening with men, and even what's going on with women. Why are we, why are things taking so long? And I really like how Chris is just goes directly, cuts like a knife through a really complicated thing and just gives his, well, it's much more value than the 10 cent. But here's the thing. You're going to love this episode. Go on. Listen to Chris talk about the things that matter. Chris Armstrong, welcome to the Chainsmakers podcast. I am extremely excited to have this conversation with you today for so many reasons. What you've been doing over the the decades is so interesting around building cultures uh, that are inclusive. The, your things with that you're doing with communications, I can go on and on and on and on. Can we maybe just start by, would you be up for sharing, how did this whole thing come your way originally? What, what made you go in this direction? So I think what I would start by saying is that I was in the federal government before. And uh, when I was in the federal government, I was a, a very young executive. And I only say that to say that because of that, from a very young age, I got a lot of insight and a lot of context into how people were treated, how we, how we look to assess people. And I, I, I would say that when you see that from such a young age, when I saw that from such a young age, I had many years then to to deal with it and figure out I'm watching something that isn't right. I'm a senior executive that's supposed to be doing something about something that isn't right. And eventually I just gained the confidence because having the power doesn't mean you have the confidence. Sometimes you have the position, but you're still scared as you know what. So it took me a few years to, to basically get my confidence to match my grade, my senior executive rank and to decide I'm either going to do something about it or I'm going to keep watching in the background. And the second just wasn't an option anymore. Mm-hmm. And I had an opportunity from one of the best directors in the world to become a culture executive at an agency because uh, he saw that I started using my power for good and started uh, bringing the workforce along. And he offered me the position as a culture executive. And that from that point forward, I never looked back. Culture executive. Wow. If that isn't a job title, a label that we need <laughs> in this day and age. <laughs> yeah. so where do you see, I know that you've been working on so much about uh, on, around diversity and you've also been working a lot with women empowerment and, and all of the, the gendered issues. Where do you feel personally in your work 
where has the the whole conversation about gender equality, or I actually like to call it more gender equity, has gone wrong? Because when I'm, I'm asking this question, I know this is kind of like a direct, you know, little filled the question. I feel it has gone wrong because it's every time of way too often, there are only women talking about this issue. So, yeah. So I think in two areas, and I'll, I'll label one of them as when the message gets lost, mm. and the second as a circle protecting a circle. To the latter, I can tell you without exaggeration that I faced a situation about 20 months ago where I was asked to be a keynote speaker at an event mm. uh, that was mostly women. And as soon as I introduced myself, someone said, oh, you're the guy that does all that women empowerment. And before I could respond to that, the female next to him says, I think it's odd that a guy does women empowerment. It's kind of creepy. And before I could respond to that, the woman behind her said, and I quote, maybe he identifies as a woman, maybe he's transitioning. To, to draw the conclusion that the only way that I could care about women's issues was, you know, that a viral woman. Now, that hasn't been my typical experience, quite frankly, but I will say that that led to a significant discussion that day about whether or not men belong in the space of the women empowerment movement, whether women invite men in. And while it's been my significant experience that women do invite men into that space, there have been little ripples here and there that I've seen not only in my own experience, but when I've heard other people talk about it, it, even those little sort of ripples of resistance will turn somebody who maybe isn't so passionate about it into somebody who's fearful in addressing it. So it's one thing for it to be my business, something I do every day. But if we're just trying to get everyday people, uh, everyday men to join the fight, and they face even that kind of resistance, they're going to be less likely to, to keep at it, if you will. To the first one, I think it's our biggest issue. To me, what's happening in both, for both the women's movement and the minority movement is this thing I call the message getting lost. So there is undoubtedly, and has been for years, racism, sexism, pay inequality. It's, it's, the numbers don't lie, no matter what anybody who looks like me might say. And, not but, and what has to happen is that we have to be able to talk about it without overgeneralizing without pursuing overcorrecting, without having it an us versus you know them sort of scenario. And what I see more often than not is all three of those things. I see generalization all the time, you know, all the time. I see, uh, again, uh, overcorrecting, uh, you know, somebody tweeting out, um, I don't care at all if innocent men, uh, you know, go to prison or lose their job as long as the overall patriarchy is destroyed. That's an actual tweet you can look up. And when things like that happen, the message is gonna get lost. I'll give you one other very quick example. I've, I've literally had a situation where I was facilitating a culture discussion and it was about, well, someone had brought up the Dustin Hoffman accusations. Yeah. And there was a part in the discussion where the female in the room said, well, I believe the accusers. And my job and my co-facilitator's job is to ask questions, not because we don't believe, but just to get to the root issue. So mm-hmm. I asked in a very calm way. I said, so do you mind if I ask, you know, why you believe? And she said, because I was sexually assaulted. And it becomes very difficult to try to build a support structure with the other men in the room, particularly who hear that and think, so let me get this straight. You believe somebody just because it happened to you. Mm -hmm. So the message gets lost a little bit. But on the other hand, it's also very difficult to look at her and to not feel some empathy 
for, for what she went through and how what she went through has guided her to have that kind of mindset. So we can't turn her off. We can't just say, well, that doesn't make any sense or that's completely, you know, irrational. Mm-hmm. But we also can't keep living in this notion that says we're going to go to the extreme to make a point because then the people who are either in the middle or who aren't on your side are never going to go to your side. You're always going to have the people who already agree with you and no one else. To me, yeah. that's the number one issue, the message getting lost. It's the consequences of boxes like we talk about. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. 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 This conversation, the way that you are describing it, it will never go anywhere. It will eventually die. I mean, if you're constantly on that us versus them, we're not going to go anywhere. I'm a little bit surprised. This might be cultural differences in regards of your, your story about a woman saying, strange it's odd that a man is for actually advocating for women empowerment i think if that's the attitude then i'm not surprised that things are not happening (laughs) is that something that you come across often no i mean you know when i mentioned before it's not the normal it did happen a few months ago when my business, my colleague and I were at another event. This one was literally called the Working Mothers Conference. We were in the program because we were asked to go. And as we were walking, we walked into the room to look for a place to sit because it was a big banquet room. We had found a table that had two empty seats and we had asked if we could sit down. And one of the women in the table said, I guess. So we felt a little resistance, sat down anyway. Um, somebody else around the table said, what are y'all doing here? And my business partner said, well, you know, we're here to talk. You know, if you look at the program, we're right here in the program. And one of the other women said, "Um, so is this what you all do? You just go to places like this, try to pick up women, try to look like saviors. Wow. And, uh, you know, as a facilitator, which is what we both are, you know, we just asked a question. We said, so are there ever any situations where it might be appropriate for a men to advocate for women? oh yeah, we need more of that. So could that be why we're here as opposed to picking up women? Because it's one thing to take it personal and to lash back out. It's another thing to just try to maybe help people understand. Because again, there's a little bit of empathy that we have to have for why they drew that conclusion. Exactly. So if we can't bring forth, so no, it has not been my experience. Those are are sort of the two prime examples that that stick with us, mainly because they were said in large groups. Yeah. So yeah. watching, watching the weight of the sort of the audience and how they respond, which in both cases, the majority of the audience was flabbergasted that we were, you know, talked to in that way. And that told us that that isn't the normal. So it's important that we eat our own, you know, say what we mean, which is we're not going to generalize. We're not going to assume that it's because it's happened a couple of times that that's what the normal is. No, it's not. no, it's, no absolutely it's not. And, and from the perspective of the boxes and how we see it, it's, it's about, you know, the safety that that room was for some a, a space of safety and that safety was in their mind somehow cut they were cut through it and, and it's it, it's just interesting how human beings are and how we behave so you have this ability to really be able to in as a facilitator to really go into a deep conversations and and open up for i like to say a space in people's minds so they see a different thing. It's not their perspective changes from being that old way of thinking and listening and, and reacting into something new. Can you share with us the secret? Do so. 
because I think this is what the world needs. We need that. So we describe it as getting people from screaming pitchforks to healthy discourse. And I think it takes three things, right? And I, and, uh, I think the first one and the most important one is to listen to understand and not listen to respond. So even again, as I heard someone say to me, well, maybe he identifies as a woman, maybe he's transitioning. I could listen to respond and I could get offended or I could, you know, call them out or I could, or I could ask myself, I really genuinely want to understand why, why they think that way, where they're coming from. So the first one is I have to listen to understand. I have to put aside biases, which we all have, myself included. I have to put aside anger. I have to put aside feelings. I have to put aside emotions, even if what they're saying sounds similar to someone else and what they said. So that's number one. I would say number two is I have to remain neutral. So take a discussion where, uh, you know, we did the Kavanaugh investigation, uh, you know, with the the justice over here and lots of work organizations who were completely at a standstill because they refused to work together during that whole thing because they were on opposite sides. I may come in with an opinion, which I did, but that will never come out of my mouth. And when someone says something, they will never see it in my face whether what they said agrees or, align, or aligns or disaligns with what I believe. Yeah. I will always be neutral because I have to in order to maintain trust mm-hmm. so that as I'm listening to understand and asking questions, they don't feel like he's trying to steer me in a particular direction mm-hmm. because I'm genuinely not, which gets to number three, genuine curiosity. I have to be genuinely curious The best way to describe that is I've done 4,000 or so culture sessions, all facilitated. By the 20th one, I realize the complaints aren't different. Mm -hmm. Poor accountability, poor leadership, poor communication, the complaints aren't different. Uh, Limited resources, uh, bureaucratic processes, and unfair promotion practices. So I could easily say, okay, I've heard this story before. Oh, you know, keep talking, I'm, you know, get to the end so that I can, you know, tell you exactly what you're going to tell me because it's predictable. The genuine curiosity says, tells me right on the moment that although the, the front end of the story is the same, the complaints are the same, where the people are coming from, the different paths they took to get to where they are, are different. So when someone starts out with poor leadership, and I say, I've heard that a thousand times, the thing I know is, is that they have, they're dealing with different leaders. They themselves have had different experiences. So I have to be genuinely curious enough to really want to dig deeper and to ask questions. And if I can introduce all three of those simultaneously, not only will it help me ask the right questions, it will help them feel like in an authentic way that I'm there to unpack and I'm not there to influence. Yeah, I like that. I'm there to unpack, not to influence. Yeah, that's like a real, coming from a real place of service. Yeah, it has to. Because people can get very, much like a coach, I've been a relationship coach for a while, much like with coaching, people can get very addicted to it. I just want someone to talk to, oh, finally, someone who's going to listen. But at the end of the day, you have to be there in service to them so that you can help them and not just give them an ear Mm -hmm. or a voice. You have to genuinely want to move their culture forward or get them from screaming pitchforks to healthy discourse. And in some cases, you're going to tell the client, you know, a lot of these people can't work together anymore. You have to be able to be willing to be honest. If, if you don't always go into it and say, oh, I'm going to fix this culture. Everybody's going to be perfectly happy. It's going to be perfectly fine. No, in some cases it's broken and it won't fix unless you move these two players or these yeah. three players. Yeah, it is what it is. Exactly. Yeah. And then your three steps process is really a, a handy one. 
where do you see, where would you like to see? I guess that's more of the question. Where would you, in your wildest dream, what would, what would you like to see think things differently or see things happen differently in the world today than it actually is? That you think would absolutely benefit us as humankind? So in order, I'm going to say in order because it's very important that one happens before the other. I would like to see newscasts and articles that are specific and not generalistic. Mm -hmm. So I'm tired, for instance, of reading an article that says, this is why women are angry today. What do you mean women are angry? Mm -hmm. There may be some angry women, or there may be an article that says, why all men just need to shut up and listen for once. Yeah. All men... Because if we, can get, if we can get specific and get out of generalization, then we can get to part two, which is, I want to see, and this is going to sound maybe, maybe odd coming from someone who does uh, facilitation and mediation, I want to see less tolerance and more punishment's the wrong word. I want to see more reaction uh, to things that occur, but one can't happen without the other. So today, you know, we're not seeing a lot of people going to prison or, you know, losing their jobs or facing real consequences when complaints come out. But that's because the complaints are behind a wall of 10,000 other complaints. And again, the message gets lost yeah. and it's, and it's, it's not specific and it's, you know, very generalistic. If we can get clear and bring more clarity and more purpose to, to very specific things, then the next thing I want to see is I want to see people realize I can't just do this and apologize. Or I read an article where someone said it, it'll take us until 2049 to have real equality, but they were looking at a real pay equality for yeah. women, but they were looking at it from a dollars and cents perspective. And I thought to myself, how long it takes us to get to pay equality for women has nothing to do with numbers. It has to do with whether or not we actually want to do it. If a board of directors to a company says that you CEO of the company have two years to make sure that 100% of men's and women's salaries are aligned, doing the, assuming they're doing the same work or you're going to get fired, guess what they would do? They'd find a way to do it. Of course. But we're not looking at things from that lens. We're just, we have all these articles and all these uh, talking heads who are talking about how bad the problem is, how bad the problem is. And someone does something, see, this is what women do. This is what men do. This is what blacks do. This is what yeah. cops do. <laughs> get clear get focused, then hold someone accountable. Yeah. I could say more, but I know we're... <laughs> no, no, come on. I want more. <laughs> we, we are to a point where there's so many movements that are good, yeah. and there's so much public uh, reaction to things that are occurring that the actual steps we need to take are getting lost, number one. And number two, the people who don't want change, and there's a lot of people who don't want change because they're scared. They feel like someone else's gain is their loss. They can just sort of sit back and watch. They, you know, eh, I'm just going to let these, you know, let Don Lemon go on CNN and talk again about, you know, uh, racism in America. Because while he's doing that, we're not actually having to push these, these new laws into play. I want to push the laws into play and get the noise out of the stratosphere and get it into the specific sphere. Yeah. But the very specific sphere. Yeah. I would love to see a law that said, that that for a company who does not file or do, who does not share their their salary practices, mm. 
that they get penalized 50% of their whatever every year. I'm, I'm making them, you know, yeah. because then they would start doing it. But instead, they don't even have to focus on it because all of the conversation is way up here. Yeah. Every now and then someone will come back down and say, here's what we should do. And then what will happen is that'll turn into 700 articles and 2000 interviews about why we should do that. But by the time people have really paid attention, they're not sure. What did this really start from? Yes, exactly. Get clear, stop generalizing, get specific and hold people accountable. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. It's like you're talking through me, Chris. I could not agree with you more. And here's the thing. Um, me coming from Iceland and living in Iceland, and we were the first country in the world, actually, uh, that set up the, um, the equal pay law. Which, by the way, all the I think most Western countries do have equal pay law, but they don't have any any penalties to it. But this time, <laughs> so it's been for I think about sixty years or so. It just didn't mean anything. But what we did and we started that a year ago, companies with twenty five employees and above need to be certified. They need to go through certification, which then gives them a certification that they are paying people equally no matter which gender or race for that matter and uh, i was talking to one of the ceos who actually he is a, as a company probably has around 100 150 employees in and he said you know he said aruna i'm telling you gender pay do doing that right having that balance and having that equal is is a piece of cake. He also said, it's a piece of cake to have equal amount of of men and women throughout the company. That is also a piece of cake. It's actually called decision, and then an action, and then you just do it. And what I thought was so interesting when when I was talking to him, because we had that conversation, like you know, does it matter? You know, do we really have to go for? men are this, women are that. We're talking about the boxes there. And he said, well, I actually think that first we need to come to that, some sort of a balance that you feel in your culture. It doesn't matter if there's a woman who is doing the job or a man who is doing the job. You just kind of like, you, you, it becomes the norm, whatever. Then we are at the level that we will hire people just from whoever their qualities, uh, regardless of how they look or, or which container they're in and uh, I thought that was really interesting perspective from someone who has done the work yeah I think um, (laughs) it's very common for people uh, to say oh you know we're only supposed to hire the best qualified I can't help it if there's not enough women that are qualified but if you go back to one of the questions you asked me earlier how do we get people to root issue I'll ask somebody four basic questions and I'll be very quick about them. The first question will be, do you believe diversity is mission essential? They'll say yes, whether they believe it or not. And I can tell when they're just saying it to say it, but they said it fine. And then I'll say, do you believe it's your job to ensure the mission that they say yes to, and they believe a hundred percent, but they think they're talking whatever the actual company does. Yes. It's my job to make sure we produce widgets. My third question they stall on, which is, do you believe people, regardless of their gender, race, sexual orientation, do you believe people, regardless of those things, if given the same opportunity, have the same potential? Um, I get clarifying questions. I get some, well, in all 
aspects of the work. And then I'll eventually get to a yes, but then I've already focused, I've already gotten to the real issue. Cause then my last question is, have you looked at the numbers in your organization? And if so, what do you think about them? Of course, I've seen the numbers, they're bad. We need more women leaders. Isn't that why you're here? Sort of a defensive posture. And I'll say, okay, well, let me tell you what I heard you say. You said you, you, you believe diversity is mission essential. You say it's your job to ensure the mission. You did say that people have given the same opportunities had the same potential. So why is it that 96% of people who have the right potential are white, heterosexual, able-bodied male? And some smart person in the room says, well, I guess it depends on who he gives opportunities to. Ah, it's easy. Who do you give opportunities to? And as my business partner says, it's a C3 problem. I have to see it. I have to see it as a problem and I have to see it as my problem to solve. It is our strong belief that the reason we don't have equality in the workplace for women and minorities is number two. We don't see it as a problem. When we walk into a room and we have a, a, you know, a, a table that can sit 20 and we have you know, 20 seats against the wall, when we look at that table of the big wigs and we see only one woman and two minorities, we don't see it as a problem. Because, and if you don't see it as a problem, you're not gonna see it as your problem to solve. It's easy. But it's easy, also easy for us to keep doing diversity training and for people to say, I value this and for people to speak at events and CEOs to put out company emails. It doesn't matter if you don't truly see it as a problem. And if you really solve as a problem, we wouldn't have to spoon feed you the answers. Which is why we need accountability and it needs to be financial and it needs to be consistent enough that people realize I'm either going to get on board or, I'm, or someone else who cares about this is going to get on board. The rest of it's noise. Yeah, it's opportunity. And why, if you see one woman and two minorities, the first question you need to ask yourself is, what opportunities do we need to give the women and minorities to, to give a level playing field? And if people who look like me think that that's affirmative action or that that's you know, unfair to Caucasians, of which I am one, obviously, then what I would say to them is, 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 is your belief that that's unfair any different than their belief that it's unfair that there's 17 people around the table who are white men and only three people who aren't? Where do you equalize it? It's opportunity, nothing else. Everything else is an excuse, in my opinion. And I've been at the senior executive level and I've seen it and I've had the discussions and I've gone to the mandatory training. And this is Ferris wheel year after year. And, and in some ways, I don't think that it's all racism in the sense that people intentionally do that or sexism people intentionally do. I think in some cases it's ignorance, but it's still, it's still just as bad because the outcome is no different. Exactly. And that, yeah, it's ignorance and lack of awareness is there. Right. They're actually losing. Yep. So because business comes down to money and purpose and mission and all of that, then only half of the job is done for sure. Uh, I'll just tell you one last thing. This is the scariest thing I've ever heard of. This was from a CEO in Silicon Valley, one of the first culture jobs I ever had. He said, Chris, I got to be honest with you. Anytime I hear that uh, the business case for diversity, I fully admit we don't have a diverse company, but I can also tell you that our profits have gone up six years in a row. So they don't see, this particular person didn't see that they were going to lose money. And frankly, since then, because I've watched their company, they haven't lost money in the four years since. So they're going to look at that and say, you tell me it's a business case and it's about money. I've gone 10 years. Good. Now, what they don't realize is there's still money left on the table. No, yeah. But they're looking at it and saying, I'm not losing anything. In fact, yeah. I'm gaining. No, they're not. No, no. 
and that's where they're at. That's how far they can see. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Chris, um, this is so interesting. You will be able to see everything about Chris on in our show notes, including where to reach out to him. Chris, just one last thing. If people want to come and reach out to you particularly uh, to learn more about what you are doing, uh, creating equal and authentic uh, relationships and company cultures and diversity, where should they go? What's the number one place? I would say uh, our web, my webpage, uh, veritasculture.com, V-E-R-I-T-A-S culture.com. Yes, excellent. We will put that one as well, just in case you're just listening to this on Apple Podcast or Stitcher, then you have that. That's how you can reach Chris and get more information about his amazing work. Chris, on behalf of the Chainsmokers, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Was this podcast of value for you? I sure hope so. If so, feel free to share the love and give us your generous review on iTunes or Stitcher. And remember that you can always go to runamagnus.com to find out more about the Changemakers and how we can help you drive the change you want to see in your world. Oh, 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 oh,